Hello, everybody. My name is Ken C. Dodds, and this is Angular Air. Uh, and we are going to have an awesome show today. We're with uh, Victor Sopkin, and uh, he's going to talk with us about Angular 2 forms. So uh, let me just introduce everybody really quick so everybody knows who everybody is. So, Victor, why don't you say hello? Hello, I'm Victor, and I work on Angular 2 at Google. Pretty awesome. Um, so, and then we have our panelists. Patrick and uh, Patrick JS and uh, Jeff Welpley. How's it going? I guess. And where are you guys at right now? We are at AngularU. We just finished our talk here, so we jumped on the line to uh, join you to talk to Victor. Sweet. Do you want to put a link to your talk uh, in the Hangout comments, and so people can go check that out? Server rendering with Angular 2, pretty okay. legit. So thanks for coming on the show, guys. And Amy Knight. Hello. Amy is faithful. Um, all right, so um, so just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, next week's show is going to be on Angular accessibility with Marcy Sutton. That's uh, June 30th, same time, hopefully on time, and uh, same place. And then, uh, as always, follow us on Twitter and Google+. And then during the show, if you have questions for Victor or anybody uh, about Angular 2 forms, then um, if you're watching in Hangouts, you can uh, open up the Q&A app and um, ask questions as the show progresses. And we will answer those questions from you at the end of our show. So um, let's go ahead and get started. We'll get into the main content um, for our show. So uh, Victor, Angular 2 forms, you've been working on this for quite a while. And obviously, you're familiar with Angular 1 forms and, and how that API works. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe could you give us kind of a high level of how Angular 2 forms uh, works and then how that differs as far as the API is concerned, how that differs uh, from Angular 1 forms? Sure. I, I can give you an overview. So I think that there are like a few approaches in general of how to handle user input. And one approach is the one uh, that Angular 1 uses. And you can do the same in Angular 2. So in this approach, what you do is you take a domain object and you bind it to the DOM using ng model and two-way bindings. And by the main object here, I mean a real business object or some sort of presenter. Then the user interacts with the form, and uh, the model gets updated by two-way bindings. Some other event happens later, and you can uh, take the domain object and run some extra validation, so maybe submit that object to the server or whatever. And there are three things here that are present. So the same form is present here in three places. The first one is the DOM, because this is the only way for us to interact with the browser. So we need to render the form in the DOM. Then there is an abstract form object that represents sort of the input. And that form object is responsible for establishing relations between different parts of the form. All right, so you can say that this field has these validations, and these two fields comprise another field. And finally, there is your domain model, which you, uh, you bind to, to the form. So there are like three buckets, the DOM, then this form model, and then your domain model. And the form model in Angular 1, uh, it's constructed sort of behind the scenes uh, based on the structure of your template. So when you render your template, the framework figures out how all the elements of your template relate to each other, and the framework constructs that form model. Uh, this is a very uh, easy approach to understand, I think, and has simple mental model. And this is the sort of thing you do in Angular 1 uh, core uh, most of the time. This is the primary way of handling input in Angular 1. And this is a valid approach in Angular 2, too. So you can do exactly the same or more or less the same thing in Angular 2. So if you have a, like a large Angular 1 app and you want to migrate to Angular 2, you can just do that. 
so one benefit or one property of this approach is that the form object is uh, uh, constructed based on your template, and templates are supposed to be declarative. They're usually declarative. Uh, and it's, it's a good property because it means that you can express a lot of user input handling in a very declarative, straightforward way. Uh, but sometimes uh, uh, it may not be enough. Yeah, sometimes you want to run some imperative code to, for example, pick what kind of validators you want to run, or pick how form will be constructed, what will be the parts of the form. And it is possible to do that in the template, uh, but it can be a little bit cumbersome, and I think it's somewhat a misuse of what the template is supposed to do, because the template is supposed to just render your stuff, not run a lot of imperative code. So in this case, uh, what you can do in Angular 2 is you can create that form abstract form model, that form object yourself, directly in the component, imperatively, and then bind it to the DOM. And since the creation is imperative, you can uh, you probably want to test it using unit tests. And the good part here is that uh, because you actually do not use a template to create a form object, you can test the creation of that form object using high-level sort of, sort of abstract, isolated tests that don't rely or, or on the DOM, as they don't use the DOM or HTML. Uh, and I think it's a valid thing to do, because basically that form object that you actually have in Angular 1 too, is supposed to represent relations between components and validations, not rendering. So it's okay to test that those relations are established properly uh, in an abstract way, and then uh, like write an integration test that will like, render your component, and it will make sure that everything is rendered properly. Um, so these are the two main ways of creating that form object. This is the first choice as a developer you can make in Angular 2. You decide where you define that form. Does it happen automatically in the template, the same way it happens in Angular 1? Because in Angular 1, you have form controller and a Gmodel controller, and those things have been created and hooked up together behind the scenes. And you can like use the same approach in Angular 2 if you, if you decide to. Or if sometimes you want to have more control over how form is created and what it has, uh, you can do it yourself in the component. So that's the first choice you can make. The second choice you can make is how you get the data from the form. Uh, and one option would be to use ng-model. So ng-model is still present in Angular 2. So you use ng-model and two-way binding behavior to sort of synchronize that form object with your domain object. All right? And in this case, you always interact with the form through this domain object, which acts sort of like a proxy. It represents your form. Yes. And this is a good it's a good approach. It's easy to understand, and this is a primary way of doing things in Angular One. Uh, but in Angular Two, we also have a slightly different approach, uh, which is very valuable for certain scenarios. And it is that you can just get a reference to that form object and just get its value directly. Just ask for a value and say, "I have this form object. Give me your value." And it will give you this nested data structure that can, will contain the value of the form. And uh, it might be useful for, for a variety of scenarios. Uh, the first one is if you have like a very simple form, let's say a, a sign-up form, like something with three fields. Having a real domain object is not super useful here. Yes, you don't really edit anything, like any entity. Yes, you don't do anything like that. Uh, you just want to get the value of that form. And, and, and the most straightforward way, in my opinion, is just to ask, form, give me the value, and it will give you the whole thing. Another approach is, uh, another reason to use this approach is if you are a little bit more careful about the data flow of your application. So two-way bindings kind of, they're very convenient, they're great for a variety of scenarios, uh, but they make your data flow a little bit less sort of explicit. Yes? And if you want to be very explicit about the data flow of your application, or maybe in certain 
part of your application, it is beneficial to just ask the form object for a value because you control the data flow in this case. Finally, if you bind a lot of uh, this functional programming stuff and you really like immutable objects, which I, for example, do, then two-way bindings don't work at all. It's because you cannot update or mutate an immutable object. Yes? Uh, then you just have to get the value from the form directly. So this is basically the second choice you can make in Angular 2. There are two choices. The first one is, where do I define the form object? In the template, automatically, like the framework does it for you, or do I do it myself? And then how do I get the data from the form object? Do I use two-way bindings to get the data, or do I directly just pull the data from the form? And there are good scenarios where each of these combinations uh, is, is valid. Yes, and I think dogmatically saying only one of them is good and everything else is bad, uh, I think it's not very it's not very smart. There are lots of applications, lots of architectures that require like different mechanisms. Yes, and we provide you with this like two choices uh, with two options in each choice. Yes, so it's like four uh, options basically. Wow, that's that's really cool actually. I love that you uh, um, give us the choice of how we are going to uh, create our forms and how we're going to get the data from our forms. Um, I think that's awesome, and I, I can see me using uh, both. Uh, or all four uh, choices, I guess, uh, combinations of those choices in, uh, in different scenarios. So that's very cool. Do, are you a little bit concerned that uh, perhaps the community will, uh, or, or um, being able to, like, there, there's kind of a trade-off. I'm, I'm sure that you, you kind of thought about this yourself when you give choices um, where uh, people don't really understand the choices or it becomes more confusing. Uh, it's kind of like how the directive definition object has tons of configuration options, and yep. so that it just makes it really complicated. Are you concerned about that at all, or or do you feel like the these choices are, are more valuable? I think it's a valid concern. When you give people choices, you sort of uh, ask them to make the choice, yes? And sometimes they don't want to. Uh, and I think that what we are thinking is maybe splitting these four options to two sets of directives that you can apply, or something like that. So you sort of pick, based on the architecture style you prefer, you use one or the other. In this case, you either live in this angular one world, where everything is like an Angular one, more or less, yes? Or you like have an option to include these extra directives that will give you more options. So in this case, if you want to be like an Angular one because you're, for example, migrating an Angular one app, you just have this subset of directives that you include, and you don't really make the choice because like you, you, you won't be able to use the second option, yes? because there is only one option available. Uh, but I think it's important to keep the choice, and I think in general, Angular, uh, I think this is the strength of this framework, that it gives you sort of a low-level primitives, or some sort of primitives, but it doesn't tell you there's only, why, only one way to use all the primitives. Because there are just so many architectures and so many different applications, and saying that there is only one way that makes sense for all of them, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's sort of dangerous. Totally. I, I think this is a uh, one theme that I've noticed about Angular 2 is, is uh, giving these kinds of choices and uh, and then Kind of maybe relying on the community to uh, build abstractions mm -hmm. that give like good defaults or or maybe uh, uh, use kind of best practices for certain scenarios and and so what like I, I am the author of Angular Formly and so I've kind of made an imperative approach for Angular Forms and Angular One um, and so um, I I think that's just one example of adding an abstraction um, to make using these APIs a little simpler. Um, but as a library author, having these choices and like, or or as an architect even of a, of a bigger application, having these choices is insanely valuable. So very cool. Yep. Uh, one last thing I want to mention about the new API, and because I think it's super important, 
is that uh, when you want to like express an interesting interaction in Angular 2, uh, what you would use, you would use observables. In Angular 2, every part of the form, every input, every uh, like group of inputs of the whole form uh, has an observable value changes you can listen to. An observable in our case right now is an Rx observable, uh, but in the future it will be the observable from, uh, because it's making its way into ES7, so it will be the standard observable. And I think this is the huge advantage over Angular 1, where if you want to express such interactions, you would create custom watches, and you have this very mutative like, chunk of code that's kind of hard to reason about, and uh, hard to test, and it doesn't really compose very well. And now you will be able to express the same interesting interactions when you have these forms that with fields depending on each other in crazy ways in a very declarative way uh, because you have this rich set of combinators that Rex gives you and in a very testable way. And I think this is a huge advantage of Angular 2 forms over uh, like Angular 1 approach. Actually, the, the, sorry, go ahead, Amy. Well, so I was going to ask another question. I went to David East talk he did uh, a couple, I'm not sure if it was a couple weeks ago or months ago or, or what it is at this point. Um, but he talked about the Controls API and the Validators mm -hmm. API. Uh, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about that and then also if there are any other APIs that you can talk about that weren't mentioned in that talk that are coming out. All right, cool. So I can talk about that. So this control and control group API is basically similar to what in Angular 1. You, you have it in Angular 1. So ng-module controller in some ways similar to the, con to the control object. And a form controller in Angular 1 is similar to a control group. So basically you use these objects to describe the, the form in sort of abstract sense. Not how it's rendered, but what it is, what kind of value it is, what kind of validations you want to run when the value changes, how those values relate to each other. And you have control, control groups, and control arrays. So basically, you have these primitives, controls, atoms. Then you have control groups, which are basically records of controls. And then you have control arrays, which are homogeneous collections of controls of variable length. Yes? And uh, these are three primitives we provide you to create uh, basically any form, yes? to create the form object. And again, like you can do it yourself, or the framework will do it for you. But in either case, this form object will be created. This is the only way for you to interact with the form through this form object. So this so, is the main API you would use. Sorry? I have a question on that. Like uh, in Angular One, you, you could create some custom validators. So yep. is there a the custom validators that I build in Angular One? Does that translate to what you're, you're talking about now, or would I basically have to rebuild those? Uh, I mean, the API is slightly different. I mean, you, you can probably use the bulk of your custom validator, but in Angular, in Angular 2, uh, all validators accept a control or a control group, and they return a, a map of errors. Not just like true or false, but a map of errors, which is very handy for a variety of reasons. The first one, it allows you to take a list of validators and compose those, and so the type will work out, types work out and whatnot, but it enables composability of validators. And second, you can provide extra information when errors happen. Yes? So imagine if you run a validator like from the back end. Yes? You try to transact. You couldn't transact. So you can attach a lot of extra information uh, into that return value that you will use to display the error. So the API is slightly different, but you can still define custom validators. You can still compose those. And you will probably be able to reuse the bulk of the work with the validators. You just need to adapt them to the new API, basically. Does that make sense? Get yeah. Um, can you hear me? Yep. OK, so um, in Angular 1, we uh, were introduced to async validators. And yep. with that, we use promises. Um, and if anyone actually used it, it was actually very kind of weird that you on success, you return, you return an error or whatever. It's a little bit weird. Um, but that was also a limitation of, of promises itself. Like, 
Yep. The um, Angular 2, like, introducing, like, observables, like, async validators with observables, that's yep. more enigmatic to actually what's going on to the validator, because, like, you can actually say on next and you can say on error rather than returning a whole new promise every single time in Angular 1. Yep. Um, do you think we all start to, uh, to see that? Yeah, so we, we we didn't actually build support for async validators yet, but we are, uh, like, the main API will be you return an observable, yes, and you will do something like you described. Uh, we probably will support return a promise too because people are so used to, to using promises, but then we just convert a promise into an observable, something like that. So normalize it in some way, yes. Uh, but yes, like returning observables from validators, I think it's a very it's a very nice field. Yeah, and, and one more question. So um, what about ng messages? Like that was actually really awesome in, in Angular One mm. that you were able to kind of like kind of like ng kind of switch towards yep. uh, different messages. Um, I guess it kind of plays into the custom messages and everything. Like, when do we start seeing like more of the, the external modules that were introduced in Angular 1 into Angular 2? Yeah, ng messages is definitely coming. And the reason why it's not there yet is because we are also working on ITN support uh, for Angular 2. And it's related. Yes? If you want to show messages, you probably want to hook into that. Yes? And we're not sort of blocked by it, but this is one of the things we're like, waiting for before we build something like ng messages. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's uh, exciting. Uh, new things coming down the pipe. I'm looking forward to um, diving into observables a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. with uh, with upcoming things with the Angular Angular two. So uh, Pascal actually had a, a question. He's not able to be on the show right now, but mm -hmm. um, he had a, a great question. I'll just read what he wrote, okay. um, and we can chat about it. So he said. I played around with the forms code recently and realized that we have a couple of new directives now, ng form model, ng control, etc. Where, uh, whereas ng form model associates a form model to a form element and ng control associates a specific control to a member of that model. Mm -hmm. um, so why, why do we still have ng model and also why does ng model control, uh, require an ng control directive on the same element? Okay, so I can answer that. So basically uh, the way to think about it uh, is that you have this uh, three buckets. Yes, you have the DOM, then you have the abstract form object, and then you have uh, your domain model. Yes. So when you have this uh, uh, like ng control, that ng control directive and, and, and uh, ng form directive or whatnot, uh, those bind or those create that form object and bind it to the DOM. Yes. So they do they manage these relation, uh, relationships. The ng the, the purpose of ng model is to synchronize your form object with your domain model. So if you think about three buckets, one directive manages uh, interaction between one and two, and ng-model manages the interaction between two and three, as between the abstract form object and your domain model. So the purpose of ng-model is to just synchronize the state of your form, the, that form object, with your model, yes, both ways. And you don't actually have to have ng-control directive on the same element to use ng-model. So when you apply an ng-model property and you have nothing else on your input, we will create everything for you behind the scenes. So it works the same way it works in Angular 1. OK, yeah, that's very interesting. It sounds like you've tried to make the migration from Angular 1 to Angular 2 as far as forms is concerned as, uh, as simple as possible, uh, maintaining a, a pretty close yep, API. Yep, exactly. So I think that. Uh, like the syntax will be slightly different because the syntax in Angular 2 is slightly different, but conceptually, uh, your form, your input handling should translate very nicely from Angular 1 to Angular 2. Cool. 
Amy, you had a good question here. Do you want to ask that? You're muted. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I, I thought I asked all the ones that I had in there. Oh, I'll, I'll just ask you. You were asking about testing. and. Um, uh, yeah, I guess because we sort of covered that at the beginning. But yeah, if you want to go into more detail on uh, how unit testing is going to be different. OK, so I'm sure I can, I can talk a little bit about that. So basically, as I said, yes, if you use the Angular 1 approach and everything is created in the template, like the whole form and all the validators are assigned uh, to your form in the template, through the template, uh, then the only meaningful way to test your uh, user input interaction is by rendering the template. It's the same way you do it in Angular 1. You render your component, uh, you trigger some sort of event, then you observe the effects. Yes? Uh, one cool part about Angular 2 is that because we are built on top of Zone.js, we can actually transform uh, those tests that happen to be asynchronous, just because you interact with the DOM and events, fire and whatnot, into synchronous tests. And I think that's one of the cool parts of Zone.js, that it allows you to express such tests in a synchronous way. So this is kind of a benefit. But if you define a form yourself uh, in, in your component for a variety of reasons, then you can obviously test uh, the creation of that form object without rendering anything, yes? in a very abstract way, uh, writing a sort of isolated, high-level, and HTML unaware tests. That's basically it. Cool. Uh, it sounds like uh, testing will be easier for everything in Angular 2. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the hope, yes? I mean, we still need to work a lot to, to make it happen, but we hope it will be the case. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah. Um, hey, Victor. Could you, yeah. could you tell me more about um, how we arrived at ng-model and the, the new syntax? Uh, for that, that we use with uh, ng-model and Angular 2, like uh, being able to bind and set. Can you, can you explain more about that and how we arrived there? And um, Yeah, I actually thought it was really clever how that, that kind of worked out, but yeah, can you talk sure. more about that? Sure, sure. Uh, so basically, uh, the implementation of change detection in Angular 2 is very, very different. And so the mechanism that we use to implement the way, behave, the way data binding behavior is not there anymore or sort of it's very, very different. Okay, uh, this is great for a variety of reasons because it allows us to be a lot more performant and predictable. Uh, but you want to weigh data binding behavior sometimes. It's useful in certain situation, and like input handling is one situation. Uh, so, uh, but the fact that we basically don't have this mechanism in that way, and and Angular 2 embraces unidirectional data flow, it doesn't mean that we cannot have to weigh data binding behavior in Angular 2. We can, because if you think about it, to weigh Data binding behavior is essentially a property binding when uh, a value goes from a parent to a child during digest, during change detection, and an event binding, which means that when something changes, I want to like update the value of my parent. Yes, so it's a combination of a property binding and an event binding, and we use square brackets to uh, represent a property binding, and we use parents to represent an event binding, because property binding square brackets like a property in JavaScript and parents are like a method invocation or whatever in, in JavaScript. Uh, so what we did, we added some syntax sugar, just a little bit. It, it was actually like three lines of code in the compiler, uh, some syntax sugar to combine the two into one. And so you can express the two-way data binding behavior in Angular 2 without sacrificing all the guarantees that Angular 2 gives you. So it, it, as a user of uh, like ng-model, you're still using the same kind of way as in Angular 1. Uh, but the system is actually a lot more predictable, and you have more control over uh, what's going on comparing to Angular 1. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. 
Cool. So um, I'm I'm a little bit curious. Um, what kind of things do you see um, like becoming possible as part of uh, the changes in Angular 2 that were really really difficult or not really possible with Angular 1? Uh, what what new um, cool things are we going to be able to do in Angular 2 with forms? Um, there are a bunch of things. I think the main thing for me personally is that uh, you uh, you would you will be able to express very interesting interactions because you have those observable objects. And I'm a big fan of observable objects. I think it's a very important primitive that allows you to express interesting asynchronous computations in a very declarative way. So I think that part alone makes forms in Angular 2 a lot more useful for like non-trivial use cases. Obviously, when you have like a form with three fields that don't depend on each other, like joy, it works. It works great everywhere. Yes, but when you have a very convoluted interaction with lots of fields like enabling, disabling each other, and showing or hiding chunks of the form, then those kind of interactions, because of observables, should be a lot easier in Angular 2. And I highly recommend uh, everyone to Google. RxJS, and there are a lot of talks given by Eric Mayer and Jafar from Netflix, and, and they show how easy it is, it, it is to express such interactions using observables. So I'm, I'm very happy that we actually uh, made them uh, part of Angular 2. That's great. Not uh, not to plug my platform or anything, but Egghead.io has uh, fantastic lessons on observables uh, by Ben Lesh and, and Jafar uh, as yep. well. So. So I, I have a question. Um, you know, one thing uh, with the current forms that I have, and actually even beyond forms, like other pages as well. Uh, so, especially with internationalization, there are many times where I want to bind a variable, but it's uh, just like the one-time type thing. So, like most of the stuff in your form, you do want uh, more dynamic binding. But I haven't seen in Angular two the one-time. Uh, one-way, one-time bindings. Is that something that's going to be added, or uh, am I just missing it? Uh, all right, so it's not there yet. And we have we're actually discussing it several times, so if we need to add one-time bindings, because there are two uh, like parts here. One is, if you want to bind some like static data, yes, then you can just get the value of an attribute, yes? But then you're saying, I want to compute something once, yes, and, and, bind, it, and bind it once. And uh, so there are two aspects. The first one is performance. You can say it's more performant. Yes, because you do it only once. Uh, but then, like, if it's fast enough, do you want to have an extra mechanism or an extra thing in your framework? You know, if it's maybe fast enough already, you know, without it. Uh, but the second property is that it might be a guarantee that you actually care about. You want to express that this is a one-time binding. You know, just for for the sake of reading the code, you read it like, oh, it's one-time binding, and it is important that it doesn't change. Yes, and that part I think is a more valid sort of argument in in to support one-time bindings. So we're still considering it, but right now it's not there. I'd be interested to, to ask you a little bit uh, for a little bit more, I don't know, information about um, how immutable data uh, works with with forms. Um, I, I realize that it's kind of like um, unidirectional data flow, but could yep. you kind of describe? Uh, I know I know that might be a little bit easier to do with a picture or something, but could yep. you kind of describe how that works um, yep. in Angular two scenario? Sure. Uh, so basically. Uh, if you bind a unidirectional data flow, and I think it's a very good property, so you should definitely try to, to build your applications in this way, and you will see a lot of benefits. Uh, then, and, and you use a lot of immutable objects because you, you find them more predictable and whatnot. Uh, then you'll find uh, one problem is that you cannot use two-way data bindings uh, to update immutable objects. So the Angular 1 way of handling forms, of handling input, 
just doesn't work. So what do you do? Yes? And there are a bunch of options. One option is you, you can say that, well, the, the, my application, the whole application is immutable, but this small object that actually represents the form is mutable. You know? And it's fine. You just accept it, that you have this pockets of mutability around forms. In this case, you can still use ng-model and do it in exactly the same way you do it in Angular 1. If you don't want to do that, yes, what you can do is you can uh, bind your form uh, model to, 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 the, to HTML, and then you can either get the value of the form, and in this case, you just take a snapshot. Yes? So your object doesn't mutate. You take a snapshot, and then you apply the snapshot in some way to mutate your to model. Or, which is even better, you use those observable objects. Because basically, observable objects are immutable, and they allow you to express uh, computation with immutable objects in a very nice way. Uh, so you either use uh, observable objects or you just take the snapshot of the form because in this case you get a new snapshot every time the value of the form changes, so nothing really mutates uh, in, in your application. Yes, the, the part inside Angular mutates, but your application doesn't see it. Or if you are not as uh, radical, yes, you can just have those small pockets of mutability and use ng-model to, to update those small mutable objects. And then you immediately you know, apply the changes in some uh, functional way yes, onto your immutable model. So, um, is, and uh, those observables are just like on a some part of the like form API where I can say, hey, anytime this changes, I want to get a snapshot. Yeah, every control, every like basically form consists of controls and control groups, and every part of the form, every control or every control group or the whole form has this observable object. So depending on what you want to listen to, you can say, oh, I care about this particular field right now and that field over there. So you take two observable objects. And then you can use a rich set of combinators that Rx provides to say, oh, I want to compose those. For example, I want to zip those and say I want a list of like, an observable of pairs. Or I want to remove duplicates. Or I want to throttle and do all these interesting things. And you can do it in a very declarative way using this sort of uh, a very generic mechanism. That's not our mechanism, which I think is good. Yes? So you, it will be the skill that you will use everywhere. I think that generally applies to what Angular 2 is doing. Is it's more JavaScript and less Angular. And I think that's a, that's a really good thing. Yep. So um, maybe I think it could be valuable to our viewers to more like uh, get a more practical example. Um, do you, do you think that you could describe like a, a password? So I, I enter in my email and then my password twice to confirm my password. How would I use observables and immutable um, uh, immutable data to kind of get that kind of user experience where whenever I update the, the first password, it invalidates the second one and, and vice versa. Sure. So you can totally do that. It's it's kind of harder to do it without actually writing the code because it will be like three lines of code, but it will be a lot of talking. So it may seem more complex than it actually is. Uh, so the way you would do it is you would take an observable for the password field, yes, uh, the first one, and then you would say every time it changes, I want to reset. So you uh, basically do observable dot for each. For each means on every change, you will reset the second one, and then you will take observable from the first one and the second one. You will zip the two, so we have a, like an observable of pairs, and then you can map that observable uh, to observable of booleans. You know, so when the two passwords are the same and they're not empty, it becomes true; otherwise, it's false. Let's say yes, and then you can use observable of booleans to, for example, uh, I don't know, show hide or enable or disable a button, yes, the, the login button. So it it will actually be like two lines of code, uh, but it's somewhat hard to explain it without actually showing the code. Uh, but essentially, you deal with observables in a very similar way you deal with arrays. Yes, because observables are basically arrays, uh, push-based arrays. 
So everything you can do with a race, you can like join a race, you can reduce a race, you can for each of a race, you can do with observables. Yes. The only difference here is that the values are pushed into that observable asynchronously, whereas with an array, it's sort of given to you, like the whole thing at once. Yes. Cool. I think this is just a, a cue for any viewers who are curious or confused to just go learn about observables. Yeah, I think Pretty Google cool talks by Jafar or Eric Mayer. Uh, there are lots. Or go to Egghead. I think they have a very nice set of videos about Rx, and I think it's good. Uh, it's, it's very good. Awesome. Uh, Patrick, did you have a question? Yeah. So, so Victor, um, now that Angular 2 is really just using like um, ES7 observable spec uh, that's come from the pipeline, um, and you're working on Rx like 3.0, like when can we start playing with that, and when can the, the industry itself start using Rx3 that's compatible um, with uh, Angular 2, so that way um, we all could, you know, get along the, uh, using the same interface. Yeah. Can you, can you, uh, yes. I really <laughs> want to do it as soon as possible, uh, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 it, it will definitely happen before we release a better version of Angular 2, yes? because it needs to be like we need to use the the, the new library. Uh, when exactly it will happen? I don't know, in a couple of weeks probably, or maybe even sooner, I don't know. Should happen soon. All right, cool. So um, I think uh, we're kind of winding down. We don't have any questions in the Q&A, but I'll leave the app open if the people who are watching have some specific questions. Okay. Uh, but does anybody else have uh, questions that they'd like to, or, or things that they'd like to talk about? Or Victor, do you have anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about? Uh, no, I, I think I'm good. I, I want to mention one, once again, just because I, sometimes I feel like I don't communicate this idea clearly enough, but it is that if you have an Angular 1 input handling app, yes, you will be able to transition it to Angular 2 in a very straightforward way. Yes? So there is no reason to be afraid about that. Yes? You have extra stuff which is very beneficial, but if you don't care about the extra stuff, the transition should be very straightforward. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so that, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and, and we'll just go into uh, the picks. And if anybody asks any questions, then I'll, I'll interrupt us. So uh, Amy, do you have any picks for us? Sure, I have one this week, and actually, uh, the first one that I actually did was on observables, but my pick is something called Nomad.js, and it is an online meetup. Uh, so you can subscribe to that. It costs a little bit of money, but it's not much. You can get like a monthly or yearly subscription. That's pretty good. And like I said, the very first one that I ever watched was uh, with Jafar Hussein, and it was on observables, and I got a lot out of it. So that's my pick for this week. That's awesome. I was actually thinking about starting something like that. That's that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so uh, Jeff, what, let's go with you. Yeah, so uh, my first pick is going to be a great library you can use in Angular 1 for forms called Angular Formly. Uh, it's written by a really cool guy, so uh, if you have the need, you should use that. And then uh, also I'm going to pick uh, AngularU and a lot of the great uh, developers that Patrick and I have been meeting here. Uh, it's a lot of uh, fun, so if you uh, haven't been watching a live stream, you should check it out, and a lot of the videos are going to be up on, um, I think they have it on YouTube, or on angularu.com, so uh, definitely check that out, especially, actually, the Douglas Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't watched the Douglas Crawford talk <laughs> oh, from me, yes, yeah. definitely have to watch that. That was pretty crazy. It was uh, awesome. Yeah. So, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, 
uh, mine is the same like uh, Angular U, um, more particular uh, server rendering talk. Um, uh, huge fan of that, of course. Uh, and then if I had another pick, it would be um, RxJS. Uh, observables, uh, basically learn it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for the shout out, Jeff, on Angular Formally. I was going to mention that uh, Angular Formally, I haven't actually built anything with Angular 2 forms uh, yet, but I definitely have it in, uh, in the plans to uh, write Angular 2 Formally. Um, and mostly, uh, I, I wrote Angular Formally because I, I felt like the Angular 1 forms could have a simpler API or more dry, maintainable, scalable kind of API. But uh, I don't feel like that's quite the case for Angular 2. I think that the API there is very, very solid. Um, and so the reason that there will be an Angular 2 formally is so you can migrate your apps that are using Angular formally to Angular 2 a lot simpler. And then hopefully the API can be similar enough to the Angular 2 form API that you can slowly migra migrate off Angular formally and, uh, and free up my free time. <laughs> so um, I'll go ahead and uh, we've, we've actually got Patrick has, has one more. Yes. He wants to get in there. <laughs> so Falcor JS, uh, which uses observables, and that's really awesome. Uh, when that comes out, check it out. <laughs> Look at all which, the which will be when? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. All right. That's it, bro. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> all right. We do have a question uh, from Andrew. Uh, I'm not even going to try the last one. Let's see. Try by Nenko? Yep. Um, and the question is, um, how how do Angular 2, um, let's see, I'm going to read this first. Okay, so how does Angular 2 work with uh, NativeScript, uh, NativeScript and uh, specifically its performance on mobile devices? So this is kind of not really specific to, to um, forms, but Victor, do you have anything to say about that? Um, I don't have a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff to say about that because Tobias, my uh, uh, colleague, he's mostly like working with NativeScript guys. Uh, what I know is that they're making some good progress, so it actually kind of somewhat runs. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm I'm not sure if we're at the stage where we're actually measuring performance on devices at this point. Yes, we're just trying to make it work. Well, too soon to tell. Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, okay, so I'll go ahead and, and uh, do my question or my uh, picks. So first, uh, this last week or two weeks, I've been uh, I've spent um, trying to figure out how we can uh, do continuous delivery at work here. Um, and one of the major components of that is some sort of uh, build tool or, or service uh, that will run your build. And we use Jenkins uh, currently, but uh, Jenkins is kind of um, uh, cumbersome. It's like I, I compare it to jQuery, writing an entire web application with jQuery. You have tons and tons of uh, control, but it can get really messy really quick So, uh, and kind of hard to reason about. So um, I kind of land, I, I wrote a blog post about this. You can go check out. But I landed with SnapCI. Um, it's a very, very awesome build tool. recommend people check that out. Um, well, not build tool. It's not like a NPM install SnapCI or anything, but it's like a, a third-party service that you um, build. And, it's free for open source. Um, so then uh, my next pick is React Podcast, uh, and a specific episode about uh, Webpack and Browserify, kind of comparing the two. Uh, very uh, enlightening episode, kind of taught me a little bit more about uh, Browserify, because I'm definitely in the Webpack camp. Um, but uh, it, was, it was good to see and, and hear comparisons of the two. Um, 
So, yeah, that, those are my picks. Um, Victor, what uh, picks or tips do you have for us? All right, so my first pick is a very little card game that the company called Zeman put out called Onirim. So Onirim is a card game that you can play by yourself, which I think is good because I, I'm often alone and always another person. And it's a lot of fun uh, to play, so if you're into this kind of stuff, you should check it out. Uh, my second pick, or like in general sort of tip, is just read old CS papers. There is so much good stuff written in the 70s or the 80s, and most of the papers uh, that are written there go a lot more in-depth compared to most of the stuff that you can find right now on Hacker News. So it's like very valuable to, to see what people knew like 30 years ago. And so when I read a paper and I understand even a fraction of it, like a half of it, I still find it extremely useful. So just give it a try. Try to read papers maybe like once a week and see if you can get something valuable out of it. Awesome. Uh, so, Victor, if you could post uh, links to both of those and maybe a couple of interesting papers uh, to the Hangout comments so people can find those later, that'd be great. Cool. Sure, I will do that. Awesome. Okay, uh, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Does anybody else have any last words that they want to, or anything uh, that they want to share before we uh, wrap up? All right, nope. cool. So, um, oh, let's see, we got uh, another question. Same person, Andrew. Uh, so the question is, um, how will Angular 2 form elements um, be compatible with uh, Polymer, JS, and Web Components? Um, I think the way to think about it is you can have, uh, so uh, the form, uh, Angular Forms API sort of is built on top of the native API. So you can use like DOM elements or you can use custom elements. Uh, but the form API that Angular provides is built on top of it. We have some sort of default bridges that allow you to work uh, uh, with select elements or with checkboxes and whatnot, you know. So if you have a very crazy custom element that you built with Polymer, then you would have to provide a bridge. Uh, it's, it's actually very small, just a few lines of code, just to teach Angular how to read and write values or how to like update the status of the, com the component and whatnot. Uh, but the, the way to think about it is that the Angular Forms API is built on top of it. That's cool that you've already thought about that bridge. Um, yeah, that's, that's nice. I'm looking forward to being able to use more native stuff with Angular 2. Cool. Uh, all right, that's our show. Thanks, uh, everybody, especially Victor. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, and uh, really appreciate having uh, Jeff and Patrick uh, in the middle of an awesome conference. Take an hour uh, to, to be with us, too. Um, and Amy, as always, thank you for, uh, for being on as well. So um, yeah, just a closing announcement. Sure. Uh, we have uh, Angular Accessibility with Marcy Sutton next week. Uh, super excited about that. Accessibility is one of the things that you should care about, and you feel guilty when you don't think about it as much as you do, as, as you should. Uh, so that's uh, June 30th uh, at, well, whatever your time zone is. And then, uh, yeah, as always, follow us on uh, Twitter and Google+. And uh, that's our show. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. <laughs>